All right. Inappropriate Earl is back. We took a couple weeks off because the raking, the rakings, the ratings were so high. We wanted to marinate in them a little bit and then come back with the man. This is a man who I first met almost 20 years ago when I saw him hosting Potluck at the comedy store. Now, keep in mind, I was new to the comedy store. I knew nothing about the outlaw days of the store in the early 2000s. And there was a kid from La Jolla who was bombing. You know, we all bomb in the original room. But keep in mind, this was very new to me. And the host got on the mic. And I can't do an impression of this man. But he said to this kid, where are you from? And the kid meekly said, La Jolla. And my next guest said, well, that drive just got a lot longer. And I thought, what a dick. And then John Little, my friend, was on stage. And the crowd was rough that night. And John was bombing. And John walked off halfway through a set. And the host got back on and said, you've got to be professional. And John said, I'll be professional when you pay me. And then the host said, that's a bad attitude. And I thought, who is this host? He's larger than life, but kind of a dick. 20 years later, he's on my couch, and he is not only an icon at the comedy store, but he's one of maybe two or three comics that I will go to watch when I'm not on the lineup. There's Don Barris, there is Brian Holtzman, and my next guest you know him from the best damn sports show, an audience warm-up extraordinaire from his HBO Go show. Enjoy it. You know him from his role in The Hangover. He's got 100,000 Twitter followers and is an institution in the Los Angeles comedy world. Put your hands together for the great Arizona State alumni baseball pitching phenom, Mr. Stephen Brody Stevens. Yes, you got it. Thank you, Earl. What a great introduction. It was awesome. Um, I guess I am a dick, but everything else was on point. No, um, yeah, that was right on. That was uh, pretty much how it was when I hosted that night, the potluck. I did that a few times back in the early 2000s. So that was uh, that was right on. I, that that was uh, 18 years ago, not, almost 20 years ago. And uh, yeah, Comedy Store was crazy. Well, it just goes to show you, you can't really judge someone by the, your first impression of them. Right. Exactly. Looking back now, what you did to the kid from La Jolla, who I've never seen since, I don't remember his name, I think it's hilarious. Yeah, well, I was probably just being honest. I wasn't trying to be, you know, mean. I was probably at that point doing a lot of audience warm-up, a lot of interaction. You know, and you watch these other guys host the potluck on, uh, it's Monday nights now. And they, you know, some of the guys, they're, they're harsh on the guys. They're pretty, you know, I mean, that's how the comedy store was. It was about ripping guys. That was kind of, not that I was ripping them, but 
that kind of comedy is accepted. I mean, look, they have the roast battles. That's 20 years later, and that kind of stuff is still happening. I don't. I, I think comedians are probably a little tougher these days. Like, you could have that same situation, one of the guys hosting today, and say, hey, that's going to be a long ride home, and they would probably laugh about it. I think comedians are a little tougher these days knowing that they have the roast battle, and then there's with social media and the comments. you got to have a little bit of a thicker skin. So I was uh, maybe ahead of the ahead of my time. Well, I just, uh, that was during the, uh, I should call it the darker era of the comedy store. You know, it was kind of a, a it's certainly not the comedy store that we know today where mm-hmm. you have, you know, the OR sold out, the main room sold out, mm-hmm. the belly room sold out, you know, the back bars, you know, vibrating with, you know, celebrities and their friends. Right. Uh, this was back when there was no main room show. Uh huh. Because I remember very vividly it was a Sunday night. Uh, certainly no main room show. Uh, I don't think there was a belly room show. I mean, the OR was it, and most of it was, you know, comics. And this was back, like tomorrow night, if you go to see Potluck, the talent level is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but back then, it was almost like a bus depot had been dropped off there. And, oh, you guys want to do stand-up? It wasn't the greatest uh, array of talent. Yeah, the open, the Potluck. Yeah, I was like, you know, a lot of crazy people, like Boone Shakalaka, Gaylord Dingler. But they liked that. That was kind of, that was the charm of the comedy store to see a, a Boone uh shakalaka who's still there or a uh, gaylord or whoever you know these uh these there were a lot of characters back then but like now those guys wouldn't stand a chance to to get on a potluck because there's too much like not even young in age uh but like there's just too much undiscovered talent that's like wow this person's good who are they well the crowds are better too i mean you have better crowds and you have better comedians so i think everybody would understand that okay you know if you want that the stuff that was cool back in the day not cool but that again the charm they still have that you you still have, have it up in the up in the belly room you know don does his stuff with the ding dong show don barris you know it's. I just think that that particular potluck show, just because comedy's popular and you got to bring it in there, it's a real opportunity. Not that it wasn't before, but now it's. I mean, it's a it's a solid room. You want you want to bring it, but. Uh, but yeah, back then I don't think there was a lot of industry going to the comedy store. I think it was going more toward the Laugh Factory and the Improv and the. Various Jay Davis rooms, Dublin. Largo was popular, still is. Dublin's Laugh Factory. Yeah, improv. Um, you know, I started, I got passed there at the comedy store, I'm going to say, around 2000. So you got passed by Mitzi. I got passed by Mitzi. So back in 2000, I got recommended by Bobby Lee. I was uh, Adam Grotman, who was his neighbor, was a comedian, and Adam Grotman ran um, Cafe 101. They had a show on, it was either, it was midweek, so I think it was like Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. But he would book Sklar Brothers, Zach, um, Patton, and cool. He had good taste in comedy, but he also had like regular Howard Kramer, and not that he, you know, they he just had a good mix of comedians. So uh, I think... So Adam saw me perform, and then he said he recommended me to Bobby Lee, and then Bobby Lee saw me somewhere, 
I think at some bar or what have you, maybe Dublin's, who knows. And then I got recommended me to Mitzi and I got passed pretty much right away. She never said no. She, I, I, I got a, just got a yes. So but like, I, does she say that to you directly or like the next day someone calls you like, yeah, she didn't tell me your past. It was just the next day calling for veils and I wouldn't um, always get spots. And when I did, there were like the 1230, 1 a.m. spots kind of thing. And I would go do the youth hostel on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. And then I come by the comedy store. So but I would. Uh, yeah, I, I never really hung out there until I was passed. I just felt I definitely wouldn't park there. You know, like that was something I wouldn't do even today. These days, if I don't have a spot, I won't park. And I think that's the rule anyway. Uh, I mean, they're pretty, uh, you know, I think it depends on if you're liked up there. Like like you and I, I think, are liked. And they would let us park there. I mean, they let me. But say on a Tuesday night when it's crazy packed and I don't have a spot, I probably wouldn't park there unless I'm judging on roast battle. That's the only way I would do it. I wouldn't put myself in that situation. I'll park at the down the street. Now, um, I mean, they would let me probably if I pushed it and the and the lot guys do feel bad. They're not like they don't you know, I get treated well there. I'll be honest. At the comedy store, the door guys treat me well. Uh the comedians treat me well, the staff. And I think part of that has to do with, yeah, I'm older, maybe. I've been there for such a long time. It's respect. I guess. I mean, I think people just respect their elders, hopefully, naturally. And then on top of that, yeah, I get I get my spot somehow. I get uh, I do a decent job, I think. And yeah, I, I it feels good. I will say that it does feel good being a respected comedian by, you know, respected by the comedians or something to say about that. So because I remember what it was like when nobody knew me and, you know, back to again to the comedy store. I just, uh, I just always, I never saw it as like a, I was, oh, I was never a prime time guy anyway. I was always an after the hump guy. I still am in that OR for the most part. I'm an after the hump guy. So I never really, I, I mean, I was, you know, you're still after the hump tonight. These days, it's not the great, you know, it's like still people leave at midnight, you know? So I feel that. For some reason, I always thought the club was, this is what I'm used to. I don't know. Maybe I was there the whole time putting positive energy. Maybe that late night crazy stuff we we're doing, those early on roast battles, just the zaniness and maybe keeping that. I don't know. Well, I don't know what it was keeping it going during the downtimes, but I don't even know what the downtimes were, to be honest with you. I mean, to me, and, you know, it's just based on my experience it was, i see your leg moving i'm trying not to be distracted i'm oh trying no. to like you're good baby and to me the downtimes were the tommy era you know and, and uh because he was um his way of dealing with the comics i think was uh antagonistic which i think was unnecessary so there was this uh, negativity floating around up there that isn't up there today because I think Adam is very straightforward and honest with people. So like, you know, I don't know what he tells people, but if you're not to his liking, he'll tell you, Hey, come up here. I'll try and work in, but you know, it's not going to happen for a while because 
Well, I mean, uh, no room, or you're no not room, good uh, enough yet, or you're not my yeah. cup of tea, or we've got too many of right, your I mean, kind of comedian, maybe. Who knows? Uh, you know, whereas Tommy would uh, encourage you to hang out and, and loiter around, and he had no intentions of, of putting you up. Uh, and it, that's, I think, fostered a, a culture of negativity and frustration um, that's not up there now. Comics come up there to hang out now, just to be around the the scene, and they know they're not going to get up, or it's very unlikely, and they still like the energy there. I mean, the energy at the store is great. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Because um, certain comedians who had, you know, have been not forced out but good it kind of like the the good vibes won over and you you know having the audiences the audiences also the the staff the management like i can go into all that stuff behind the scenes now with tommy the old booker he always he would give me like two spots a week i'd get one to two spots he'd usually either give me like a weekday workout spot and then he'd give me like a weekend spot or he'd give me two weekend spots. He'd always give me like two spots. And he said, Brody, when you're in town, I will always, um, you know, you always have a spot. So he was always, you know, he was straightforward, honest with me, you know, and, but I didn't push it. I was never in though. Again, I was never in those primetime spots. I never had a main room spot, but I just liked performing at the comedy store but i was also working i was doing a lot of audience warm-up so i was working quite a bit so anything i got at the comedy store was like icing on the cake so to speak or i didn't need once again we're doing the audience warm-up putting that energy out i had to watch it at night so for me to be bouncing around all these different clubs after doing audience warm-up during the day was a little too much. So I, I devoted a lot of my time to the comedy store during those, if you want to call them down years, I just devoted my time. And a lot of that was, yeah, doing late night stuff, crazy stuff with Barris. And then you'd see these, uh, you know, these podcasts start happening there. Then they started having these roast battles and these roast battles and open mics got together. So I'm not saying that I was directly involved there, but I feel like Maybe the foundation of those late night spots, the Don, yourself, the band, having fun, knowing that at the end of the night there was something going on. There was always that late night energy keeping the light on, so to speak. And then I think also when Adam came in, the new booker, and he brought his, but I also feel like Adam switched up the lineup, so some brought some bigger names in and brought some people in, in that didn't go through the development process, like brought them in, right? I mean, we picked, got some good guys in. Like Segura. Yeah, like Tom Segura. Jezelnik. Or Jezelnik or Eddie Pepitone or David Spade. Now, he was good at bringing some of, some of these guys in, give the place a boost. Rogan coming back didn't hurt. And then I also just think like the podcast, those shows like the kill Tony, you've got the roast battle. You have some of these other third party shows up there that are, uh, you know, making it better. And then it's also at the comedy store, you know, you got Uber now, you know, people have to worry about drinking and driving, you know? So it's like, 
I'm saying like people will go, oh, Tommy left and everything changed. I think that is a combination. And then also combination, the management, kind of the, the uh, they treated it like a, not a restaurant, but you brought in Eric, who's the manager and he's runs a tight ship. And you have Curtis with the security and the wait staff. And I observe, I see them working. These, these girls and the guys, they really work hard. And if you see them, the morale is good. It seems to be that way. And then the management, it's just a, it's a good, it's a good place to be. And I think it's going pretty strong right now, but there was times when people thought, oh, this comedy store is going to, who knows if it's going to stick around. And yeah, I mean, I would say maybe, uh, 2006 to, you know, 2011 ish. It was like, wow, this is, you don't know. There's 30 people in the OR on a Saturday night. And it's a, you know, Sebastian, it was like great lineups right you know uh but i i just think that uh you know tommy's way of dealing with people was uh he rubbed so many people the wrong way that uh a change needed to be made and, and roast battle i think was and you know i think don and you yeah uh carried the the, the lean years because people would i remember when when i you know i left the store because I just was, I wasn't ready to be around that dark energy uh, in the early 2000s, and I just performed elsewhere for you know a long time. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, I started coming back to watch you and Don. Right, and that's really what got me. I think around '09, I started heckling good naturedly, of course. You and Don doing the band, and and integrated myself into the club that way, but. People would come, not for the comedy, but late night to watch you and Don, because you guys have this great chemistry. Yeah. They, I mean, it still is a comedy gym. You can always go there, and you know there'll be – Don will always want to play. And we were doing this band, was it was like five years ago maybe, at its peak. Yeah, I mean, uh, by the way, audience warm-up extraordinaire Gary Cannon is saying hello to you, bro. Gary's a good guy. Yes, the dojo, all things comedy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, um, it was just a place to you. You could always play. You're doing the band, rocking out, having fun till two, three, four in the morning at, at times. Uh, I don't think people remember. Yeah, like two or three in the morning. I can remember like it was a real event. It was fun. And so those were those were great moments. And Tommy allowed that or the management, whoever allowed that, allowed that to happen. And that was really fun that, you know, getting to improv like that. And you know what? You could still find those find those times. Be, those opportunities now for me getting back to tommy i never had a main room spot now did you ask him for one like hey man when can i work myself in the no, main room never never asked i still don't ask for things so the main room would happen like once or twice a week maybe they would have a show in there but i never i never had a spot and it went I didn't ever ask because I'd get my one to two spots in the original room after the hump late at night, usually around Don, like messing around with Don. But I took what I took what I could get. And then I was doing audience warm up during the day. Then I would come at night. Don's doing audience warm up and we're doing this energy and I'm bringing my tambourine and I'm bringing up music. And it was just 
it was almost hard to to transfer into being a stand-up comedian when you're doing so much audience warm-up three or four times a week it's like on you so and then so to come to the comedy club you're still kind of got that audience warm-up vibe and you see that oh this audience warm-up vibe it is kind of funny so then i would take some of that those elements into my stand-up and i'm not going to say that stunted my growth but it almost kept me you know the drumming stuff the tambourine it was fun for me it was it was fun and it was funny that I would have a tambourine. Now, did it derail my regular stand-up? I don't know, but that's where I was. But it was also, I was doing so much warm-up. And I would say, like, in terms of warm-up, I made the choice probably three or four years ago to get out of warm-up and say, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian. I'll even put the uh, the microphone, you know, on when I'm the icon when I'm promoting it because... You know, you just don't, I just want to get that. I want to get that. I'll do warm up, but I want to say I'm a stand up because warm up, you're there to warm them up. They're not there expecting you to see stand up. They're that you're a, you're it's a bonus if you give them some jokes. So then when you go do the comedy club, it's like you got to bring jokes. So it's like when you're doing audience warm up, it's not necessarily jokes. It's just a, it's just a different skill. But the bottom line is. The comedy store, yeah, I never got a main room spot, never asked. And then Tommy, I got booked to do La Jolla down uh, to headline. I think it was to headline. Yeah, yeah, to headline. And I had to, you know, do, you know, a longer set. So Tommy said to me, again, this is like 2010 or what have you, 2000 and yeah, around that time, maybe 2009. He said, why don't you go up at the, in the end of the, at the end of the main room and do uh do some extra time to get ready for La Jolla. So I said, okay. So I did it one week, and then he gave it to me the next week. And then I went down to La Jolla, and I did the show. I did like 30 or 45 minutes at, at the comedy store here in Hollywood. Then I went down there, and then the shows were good, you know. And then when I came back, he just kept giving me that main room spot. So it's like, oh, I got the main room spot the, the next week, even though I don't, I'm not going to La Jolla. There's nothing like to train for necessarily. So Tommy gave me that spot, and then it just ended up Tommy giving me that late, that late spot in the main room where I could do anywhere from 30 to 45 to an hour. You know, I get to do up to an hour in that main room. I still do today. That's the Kennison spot, right? That's, a, that's the Kennison spot, they call it. Other and why is that? It. Just uh, educate uh, the younger fans who might not know what that means. Well, Sam Kinison, the great comedian, the late great Sam Kinison, he, I guess the, uh, he would go on really late. He would go on like after midnight and just go on. It was the last spot and they just let him go. But there, Sam Kinison would pack it in. You know, he was so rock and roll. He was huge on the Sunset Strip. He would pack it in. But there was also nights, same thing with Dice, that you would go on and there'd only be like two people in there. So that that's that room, yeah, you could be magical, but it could also be still magical with only two or three people. So, but the Kinnison spot was, yeah, a lot of those times, maybe early on, there weren't that many people in there. And then it got big. So... He did that spot for quite, it's just called the Kinnison spot. So it is, uh, they kind of like give you the, the keys, kind of do what you want. And it's a, uh, you know, the crowd at that point, they've seen, 
you know, everyone's a headliner. They've seen three hours of comedy and they've heard all the jokes. They've seen all the shtick and you get up there and you kind of, you know, they're, you're not, you, you, they've seen it all. So you give them a joke. It's like, they may not respond. So it's, it's a, and when it's, when the crowd is busted out like that, when it's a busted down crowd, they, they like crowd work. I feel they like, let's acknowledge what, what's happening here. Because they've heard every Trump joke. They've heard every, uh, me too joke. They've been asked, uh, probably by three or four comics. Where are you from? I mean, like, yeah, they want something different. Yeah. And I treat it like it's like, uh, an important set to me, you know, which it is. But I'll ask. We have birthdays here, you know. I, I'm, again, the, I'm my comedy. A lot of it is based off my instinct. Do I think it's funny? And then have crowds laughed. Have people told me that's funny? You know, that's it's called stage time. It's called listening to your sets. It's called remembering what works. So I know that I'll get up there and I'll ask about birthdays. Anybody have a birthday? And it's funny that I'm going on at, you know, 1 a.m., three hours into a show, and I'm asking about birthdays. And you know what? 99% of the time, there's a couple birthdays and nobody has asked whose birthday it is. So then I go, see, I'm a good guy. I'm asking for birthdays. And then I'll acknowledge the sound booth. So I, I do little things like that that I know the other comedians. I mean, why would they do that? Because the crowds are so packed and rocking when they're on. So, and you also do the high school thing, which nobody asks. I do the high school thing because audience warm up. I would get every high school in pretty much when I worked at Fox Sports. All the L.A. City CIF schools, community colleges military branches, rehab groups, paid audience, all of that sort of thing. So I pretty much got every, not every, but tons of Southern California high schools. So I just got to know them. And I also grew up out here. I played baseball at at Reseda High School. So when we played high school baseball, we constantly talked about the other high schools. So I just knew, like growing up back in in the '80s, going to Reseda, I knew who our rivals were. I knew, you know, who were the good sports programs. So again, like I start asking about like where you're from or what high school, and people start laughing, you know. So I keep doing it, and same thing with audience warm up. You know, you're asking again. A lot of it comes from that. I learned so much about energy and the powers of it with audience warm-up. And when I was at Best Damn Sports Show, I was able to see about, you know, posture, volume, caring, being connected, because those things mattered on the show. When they weren't connected, lights would go off, teleprompter would break, they flub lines. So it was very locked into that show. And when I wasn't locked in, it would fumble. Same thing at Chelsea lately. So it's an energy. It's like I go on stage and I almost demand it. I go in and I visualize it. I believe it. And that also comes from Arizona State. Played baseball at Arizona State. I learned all about mental skills, positive visualization, breathing, um, you know, affirmations. And I saw the results playing baseball at Arizona State, the number one baseball program in the country. 
And when they recruited me or they gave me the opportunity like to be on the team, very small scholarship. And I went out there. I jumped at it. I knew I had to get out of the valley. I grew up in the valley. But I wanted to get away from I just want, you know, just like any college kid. Most you could have gone to USC for with their baseball program, Rod Dato. Yeah, or maybe UC- uh, Cal State Northridge. Probably should have gone to Pierce College, but I wanted to get away. And when I went to, I went to Arizona, I went to spring training like in 1985 or 86, and it was like, wow, all these baseball teams out here. It's pretty cool. You can get up close to them. And then when uh, Arizona State was a popular college baseball, they still are. They're not in the College World Series this year. But when I had a chance to go on that recruiting trip and I saw the campus and the stadium was like, wow, this is kind of what I like. And then it was you're telling me, you know, all these baseball teams are having spring training and I knew I could go see them because I'd been to spring training there. So it was just an opportunity for me that I, that I wanted to do. And I, and I also knew that I'd be getting top notch coaching, top notch. Basically I wanted to be around the major leaguers and with all the spring training, I was right there in the middle of it. So I learned about the positive energy and I applied it to playing baseball. I had a, you know, they tried to, you're talking like you didn't know me right at first. Oh, he's a dick or what have you. You know, at Arizona State, they didn't like me at first. The coaches, like they were confused. I asked questions. I was goofy, gangly, what Jewish, whatever you want to call it. They didn't get it necessarily. I went from being a popular kid on my high school baseball team, and then I go to Arizona State, and I'm a weirdo, uh, we're, the weird guy. I'm not. You guys don't understand me. I'm not going to like quit. And I would see like years later, they'd always try to weed people out. The one person you would think wouldn't be cut from the team would be cut. You just don't know. And, but I kept fighting back and believing. And I can go into stories like my freshman year when I was basically, I didn't even play JV ball my freshman year. It's freshman JV fall ball, nothing. And the team went to China. I didn't go or Taiwan. And then I, I, they said, well, we're going to come back in January. It's my freshman year. If you want to practice, you can. And I said, yeah. And I beat the bus back and I practiced with the team. And then um, I didn't have a uniform the first game. And then they gave me a uniform. And then I didn't, I got to suit up. And then we played UCLA and I didn't have a uniform because you can only suit up certain guys for varsity um, league home games. And then they went on the road. I didn't get to go on the road. Then I earned it. What I'm getting at is my freshman year, I had so many ups and downs, so many, I was tested, you know, and it made me stronger. And I saw, I saw the results of visualizing and believing and I, I couldn't like meditate. I still don't, but I did that. And the team kept me around and we won and I went to Alaska and I played baseball there and I came back for my sophomore year. And that's when I said I wanted to like push a little more and like be tougher. So and then I can continue going on with that. But the baseball taught me a lot of the winning attitude and having confidence and then growing up in the valley, being around that attitude in the eighties with parents who were, you know, they talk about it now, how it's kind of understood. You're from the eighties. You were tougher. You didn't wear seatbelts. Your dad smoked. You ate bad food. You jaywalked. You listened to loud music, all that crazy stuff. It's like, yeah, we did. And looking back on it, it kind of makes you a stronger person today. You're not as 
outraged over things. You're not as sensitive. So that applied with the real scientific psychology of coaching, which I learned at Arizona State. And then I studied interpersonal communication. I wanted to like learn to communicate better. And I think I did. I did. And then when I, I was done playing baseball, I didn't want to get into coaching, but they kept me around as a coach. And uh, when did you know you were done with like, when did you give up the dream of like baseball pro base, like wanting to pitch for the Dodgers? Um, I mean, 1993, when I was done playing, I had surgery on my, on my elbow. I hurt my elbow and the in 1991, my junior year. And I had surgery and they and I had earned a scholarship at that point. I was going to get a chance to play. I played my sophomore year. I started four games and pitched 20, 28 innings or what have you. And then my junior year, I got a scholarship, bigger scholarship, and I was going to get a chance to play whether I was bad or not. And uh, I hurt my elbow. <clears throat> so that caused problems i couldn't play I had to get a cortisone shot and then you know i wasn't even that great or you know barely on the team kind of anyway even though they gave me a scholarship for paid for my school so i got the surgery and then i tried to come back and um but they kept me around coach brock's when i was done playing i was i there was just like my arm was still bugging me he says you know what because they paid for they said if you want to if you want to come back and play We'll pay for your surgery, but we're not going to pay for your school. If you want to quit baseball because you got hurt, we'll pay for the rest of your school, but we'll take your, you can't, you're not, you're done. You can't play your scholarship. We'll pay for your school, but you can't be on the team. So you have one or the other. Right. And I said, you know what? I don't want to quit. I'm going to get surgery. They paid for the surgery. So then I tried to come back and I, it was just not happening. And then coach Brock said, why don't, why don't you, I'll pay for your school and you can, we'll find a position for you. So he kept me around. I was done playing and then he paid for my school my last year. And then I would just like help him out. Like just, I'd sit up in the press box and then he had me coach first base. That was his thing. He said he wanted to be in the dugout. So I had eligibility to where I could travel st still, but the home coach home graduate assistant couldn't travel. So he coached the home guy coached at home first base and then I coached on the road. So I coached first base against Stanford, Arizona, USC. And it's basically just kind of giving guys at first base a pep talk. And then we made it to the college world series. This is 90, 93. I'm thinking there's no way. Cause now we can bring the full allotment of coaches. Right. So I'm going, they don't need to bring me. I'm not going to go, I guess. And then they announced it and they took me. So I got to go to the College World Series and I basically had no no responsibilities other than like, you know, make sure everyone's here on the bus. But so Arizona State taught me a lot about team building, confidence, professionalism, all of that. And I knew that going in. So I took an acting class when I was done playing that last year. Um, I did take an acting class and I mean, I never thought about doing stand up. My friends say, Oh, Brody, you said you're going to do stand up or comedy. And it's like, I don't really remember that, but I, I, I took this acting class. I go, I have, I have some extra credits. Why don't I, uh, see what this class is all about? 
So the class was like at two o'clock, which was like I was usually at the baseball field. My body was so used to being around the baseball team at that time. But it, now I was in the acting class and there was girls in there. They were cute and everyone was like supportive. And I did. You wrote a little monologue and I tried to be serious. And then they would just start laughing at me. So I, I would try to do a serious like scene study scene, like, I'm, you know, like a, a PSA about something or what have you. And they would just end up laughing at me. And I remember a couple times I was in some classes and I was just like started laughing, getting the giggles, you know. Because I was trying to be be a serious actor, which I'm not a serious actor. And I remember one of the football guys, because we would all study together, all the athletes. And I'd make the girls laugh, like the basketball players can tell you got to yawn. You can yawn, Earl. It's okay. No, no. I'm just, but I can tell. I'm listening, though. I know. I'm not saying you're bored. I'm saying just. Oh, no, not at all. I have so many questions for you. I know I'm babbling a little bit. But, but you're the perfect podcast guest. No one wants to hear me talk. Oh, really? Okay. Then I'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, they all know my story. Like, they want... Okay. Well, I'm just letting you... You know, I'm, I'm going on the baseball stuff because you probably have a lot of athletes that listen to this show, I would think, maybe. Not that it's a sports podcast, but also where I just learned about positive... I mean, I was always a nice guy growing up in the valley. I I was uh, I was nice, and I got picked on for being nice. That was the thing. It was like people were su- almost su- shocked that I was a nice guy. And I remember I got kind of I don't want to say bullied, but some of that. So I was like, my niceness wasn't uh, you know because you see guys now that are like super nice. Like you, you get older and you go, this guy can't be that nice, or or people aren't nice. Like you, Steve it, Simone. Steve Simone, if you want to talk about that, or just nice, yeah, nice fans, people like, good job, like, real, I was like, there are nice people, you know what I mean? And it's like, I grew up here in the San Fernando Valley, and I'm not saying they're, like, very nice, I mean, possibly, it was like more, it was like tough, kind of, wasn't, because the Valley... I'm not going to say it's super supportive because it has nothing. It's not the arts. It was more like blue collar. So I feel like I was like raised almost on a prison yard and I'm Jewish. You know, I was born Jewish, wasn't, you know, wasn't bar mitzvah, wasn't religious. And I can kind of see that why kids go to private schools, because it protects them from like the, the public school kids. If you want to look at it that way, you but, know, if, I got picked on by, I'm going to say non-Jewish kids. Because I was goofy, you know, goofy Jewish kids aren't going to pick on other goofy Jewish kids about the same similar goofy things necessarily, you know, but if you're getting picked on by, you know, like the a jock or, you know, a BMX biker guy, I, again, I'm not, I think I'm just like any other, I'm just like, like a talkative Jewish guy or not talkative, but, and I, if I, but I wasn't bar. I was blue collar. If I went to Hebrew school, I might have been protected by some of these. Uh, you know, at the public school also. So I would, you know, get into fights, or I would have, you know, get teased. Whereas I feel, but I also went to a private school, and I didn't fit in fit in with those kids either. They can be. I mean, I went to Notre Dame yeah. High. I'm not saying private school kids are perfect. Believe I got bullied me. at Notre Dame High. Oh really? For yeah, for being, I mean, just for being a rich, a, a, whatever you consider rich, but a, a wealthy kid from the West Side going to the eight one eight. But that's not. Did that hurt your confidence with girls? 
Yes and no. At Notre Dame, it did. But I was dating a girl who went to Westlake, uh, not Harvard Westlake, but Westlake in in Beverly Glen right. area. She would have been the hottest girl at Notre Dame. So I knew I could deliver the goods right. in terms of d- right. dating a Well, hot this chick. affected my self-esteem in that sense. You know, it's like when you're... <clears throat> it's just... it's. People like to pick. When they pick on you, you could also say they like you. That's a form of, hey, we like you. There's so many ways to look at it. There is, you could tell when somebody's malicious, or you can tell when somebody's just kidding, or you can tell when somebody's skilled at it or unskilled. It's just a lot of different ways to look at it. But I, I, I do feel that my, again, my upbringing, thank God I do comedy. Thank God I've been able to, you know, they say comedians are messed up and I'm not saying I'm that messed up. I'm just going back as I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm thinking I'm relaxed. I was talking a lot. I'm going to pull back. Well, you say you were messed up. <sighs> Let's get into your HBO show. Okay. Well, I wasn't, I, I was, I was only messed up in a sense that, you know, my parents are divorced. I went to public school. I lived in an apartment. You know what I'm saying? I said I was a nice guy. So when you're a nice guy, you can be a target for bullies. That's what I was getting at. And not having a brother, and I think, not not blaming it on that. I'm not blaming anybody for anything that, that happened to me or the situation I was in. But I'm just saying I can see how and why, and I understand why certain social rituals are necessary, certain uh, certain uh uh, moments in your life that prepare you for late dealing with adversity. You know, d- dating is, you know, my mom probably thinks she probably thinks I'm gay. Who knows? I ain't never seen Steven with the, with the girl. I 10%, prob- right? 10% gay. So I joked about it, but it wasn't, it's not that I'm gay. It's like, I didn't have confidence. And when you're young and you get picked on, Oh, look at him. He's goofy or this. It didn't feel good. You see what I'm saying? So on top, I think it was just a perfect storm of sensitivity. And, they, you know, people, I'll, you know, I'll pivot into, you know, other things. But, and that's not a bad thing. People go, oh, you're a comedian. Why are you so sensitive? That's what makes you a comedian. You're sensitive. You're sensitive to your surroundings. You're sensitive to, to things. And you pick up on it. So I kind of like when people go, oh, you're sensitive. There's nothing. I mean, I think that's a good thing. For it that. shows you have okay. a heart and a soul. Right. Again, I, I, I think that I'm not that different than many other people. I'm just, I think the situations I was in based on my family, my upbringing, and, my, and that sort of thing kind of made me who I am. And that you could say those are good decisions. Those are bad decisions. You know, oh, he's a legend. He's a this or that. Well, do I own property? Do I have a girlfriend? Do I have a child? Do I have a wife? Do I have a, a Prius? I don't. I don't have those things. You have a dog. I have a dog. So I don't want to be, I'm not going to be a downer, but it's all about, you know, it's choices. And again, there's no, there's no blame, no blame. It's all, it's choices. Now, Pivoting into, you asked me about comedy, the HBO special. Let me ask you one last question. Yeah. And I, I'm probably babbling here. Am I? I love it, though. Dude. People want it. I find that my fan base, and, and maybe I'm wrong, they want to hit re- play on this 
and just zone out into two people talking. Well, it's one guy talking a lot, which was me. But that's what I was. Makes, you know, I, people don't want to like hear my voice that much. They want to hear about you. Okay. Okay. I, I just don't want to beat her. I don't want to, you know, I can go off and do it like a, a tangent. But that's at what times. I want. Oh, really? As a host, I want to just open up the door. Open up you. the door. The Pandora's box, right. if you will. Now, did being a nice guy hurt you in baseball from the standpoint of, like, I play hockey. I'm, I, I, you and I are very similar to me. Right. Uh, and there were times when me being one of the bigger players on my team, someone else on the other team's acting up, a coach would say, hey, Skakel, you got to go uh, address that situation. Yeah, that's what I would do. You were a pitcher, though. Like, uh, I know the, the un written code of baseball which i love like if you do a dirty slide into our second baseman next time you're up at the plate you might get a ball behind your back did that your niceness ever cause you problems in that area where the coach would either directly or indirectly say hey that's the guy who uh, did the dirty slide take care of that stevens uh, it's like what am i playing hockey here or am well, I no, but i mean you're the pitcher it, it, you know that only happened one time when I they had me throw at somebody we were playing a, a team Rice University because one of our guys got hit but but did you struggle with the coach no because that never happened I was just I just pitched I don't I didn't get involved in that stuff I meaning like but you had to though like well we didn't get in too many fights all the time I mean I was a team leader in a sense that I people liked me and I pitched well. But I wasn't like knocking guys down all over the place and like leading the charge. Like, let's fight these guys. I wasn't like that. And nobody like. And I also didn't get that. That wasn't my responsibility. So if you're asking, like, did the coach come to me and say, hey, Brody, you need to knock this guy down? No, that never happened. But, oh, OK. You know, that, I mean, this it's not like it's, it's, you know, high school baseball, college baseball. They had, like I said, I, they did ask me to throw at somebody. And, and, I, since and you're a nice them. guy and it's against your. Uh, no, it'd be nice. I mean, I, I'm a I'm competitive. I mean, I'm a nice guy in a sense. I'm not like, uh, you know, evil, but I wanted to win. I struck out a lot of guys. If you look at my I mean, nice guys don't strike out people. I struck out. I think I have 35 strikeouts in 28 innings at ASU. So Ever strike out anyone famous? Um, Ron Gant or anyone like that? Few guys. I can't remember. Nobody famous, really. Right. I mean, that's a great question. I feel like I'm stumped. But I did strike out a couple of guys who went on to play in the major leagues. Yeah, that's famous to me. Oh, okay. But no, like, big stars. I had big stars... I mean, I face guys like in winter league and I'm sure I face guys in summer league that I didn't know who they were and maybe they went on to do, do stuff. I did pitch at Arizona State, a uh, lot of JV, traveled with varsity. Uh, Reseda, I played uh, I played spring ball, summer ball. So I guess I, I mean, if I had to think about it, I'm sure there were, there were uh, you know, guys I played against. But I wasn't like a stud. I was good. I was like... Probably like a f number four starter. If you think in the major leagues, I was like a four or five starter. You give me the ball, you're going to get five or six innings out of me. You're going to get some good energy. You're going to get get a guy who knows how to pitch. I could read instincts. So, and also, um, you know, baseball, you can get mad up there. I could pitch angry. 
Like what would get you mad on the mound? Just like a guy digging in on me, some guy like a cocky guy at, you know, coming up to bat, like F you. I'm going to strike you out. You know, I was like, I struck out a lot of guys. I threw the ball well. Um, so I got all, I would like that, that I was into that, you know, whereas like doing stand up, I can't be angry up there. I got to be kind of stay, don't go in that red zone. Well, what would make, this is a good uh, place to stop the Facebook live feed. I'm going to ask you a question. Do they like it so far? The oh, Facebook they, they live? Love it. Uh, we got, what have they said? Uh, tell brody i said hello is that gary cannon again uh, no uh, gary said this is great uh, uh, uh positive energy enjoy it uh, from eric Hollerback. um so they're saying this is like earl another good podcast keep keep doing what you're doing you're we're off to a good start yeah it's two friends you know uh, but the goal of this podcast is to just be like two friends talking at a bar minus the noise well, I'm doing more getting I'm I'm like I'm trying to get stuff out, I'll be honest with you. I'm trying to like cram everything in, my whole life story on this podcast. But there's no uh Brody is a nice guy. Um no. Gary Cannon again. Uh I know uh Brody for a no. long time and this is awesome. Well what you're I mean, again, you're going like when you go, Oh, you were a dick right at first. It's like I'm not a dick. I'm that not, was my impression of I you. I know. And I have to go through that like, who is this guy? He's either a jerk, he's a weirdo, he's a creep, he's an a-hole, he's shy. I've heard so many, you know, different descriptions of me. You know, it all and it depends on the situation that I'm in. And I also feel that. You know, that's a hard thing, like playing baseball or doing audience warm up. And then or, you know, I, I would say the comedy store, you get in the comedy store, I'll get all like butt heads with guys there. It's like it's kind of, a, you know, it's almost like an alpha male jock culture. And I say I played division one baseball. I've been around athletes. I don't need to do and I don't need to do these athlete type energies like and I hate not hazing, but if you want to get into that, sometimes a comedy store would have that. And I would go, I played sports. I don't need that. You know, it's like, so sometimes, you know, I'll, uh, that can be aggravating at times. Well, I think the comedy store, it's a great analogy of it is a sports team from the standpoint of you've got your alpha males, you've got your, people who are just happy to be on the team right uh you've got people who are uh, pushovers but here's the thing i judge people on how they throw a baseball and catch a baseball that's what i do how do you judge them at the comedy store no but if somebody's going to be like uh talk not talk but you know be a big talker and then you see him throw a baseball and you go, oh, not too impressive. I'm all into like, I think throwing a baseball is, I'm, I mean, I, I've just, at time, I am a pitcher. I, you know, when I go to the comedy store, I still, I mean, in my heart, I'm a baseball player. I mean, if you ask me, Brody, would you rather be a famous baseball player or a famous comedian? I wanted to play baseball. I like striking i like striking guys out maybe i don't have that in, in me as much as i used to i mean i'm 48 my career would probably be over for baseball but i had that fire in me those i don't i never dreamed of 
doing the Tonight Show. I dreamed of being a pitcher, and I I was up, you know, and, and I, I I got it out of my system. But that was a part of me at times. But sometimes at the comedy store, like, yeah, you'll get these guys, and I'm thinking, let me see you throw a baseball. You like you talk a lot. Let me see you throw a ball, and then you see, like, oh, you throw like a girl, huh? Or you'll see guys who are like active on Twitter. You see these guys, very political, loudmouths, bullies, if you will. And then you go do a little research. And you go, oh, this guy's a little famous. I bet you he's throwing a, a first pitch out at a baseball game. Let me type it in. Ding, ding. Then you see him throw and you go, that's embarrassing. You have motor skill issues and you're telling me what to do. You're telling me how to act and behave. That's a story for another time. But so, yeah, I, I mean, I do have I, I am, you know, you could push my buttons. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not saying I have rabbit ears. I'm not saying do you hear it all. I hear it all. I can I can hear it. I can hear it all. Yeah, because I'm sensitive. So people like to push my buttons. They like to get a rise, get a reaction out of me. But there's a way to do it. You know, there's there's different levels. You know, certain comedians like if like it's just different levels. I would like Jeff Ross picking picking on me was kind of like that's acceptable. And I could kind of pick. I could pick up. I could pick at Jeff Ross too. But like me, you guys are friends. Yeah. Did you fart, Earl? That's the lowest. The dog. okay. No, we're friends, but I'm saying like there's levels. Like an open micer making fun of me, or somebody I don't know making fun of me. But if like Gilbert Godfrey made fun of me, that would be an honor. Or I just I know I know I always respected my elders. You know, as a freshman, I always respected the the seniors. And maybe that um, I'm, but. I, that's just that's I just would do that. I would I don't I'm not in disrespecting my people who have been there, but um, well, I think it depends. Like Ralphie May told me once, uh, Earl, when I die, don't cry, make fun of me. So I don't think he minds it when I roast him a little bit. Yeah, if yeah. If you did it, if Jeff Ross did it, if Gary Cannon did it, but not some open mic or, or comic who never met him. Right. Well, that's what happens. Right. That can happen when you're hanging out at the comedy store or you're, you know, you're, you put yourself in those situations. You're well, I think it's the roast battle culture from the standpoint of that's such a popular show. And I think people see it's, it was really coincided with the, the revitalization of the comedy store. Oh, that's my way in here. Hey, there's Earl or Brody or Don or whoever. Uh, I don't really know them that well, but I'm going to make fun of them right now to to be accepted it's like no you got to know me to make fun of me right i mean that's the thing with twitter also you get these people on twitter who will say stuff or you know like oh brody why do you act that way on a podcast or what do you would you do there or, brody you're a baby and nobody it's like they're they only hear the podcast they only like see a video they're not there when the cameras are off and they don't know the history of two people how you know, they've been friends for a while or, you know, or they're not even at the comedy store and they go on Twitter and they say stuff. So, yeah, again, it's just more social media and you can get burnt on it for like sending out a weird tweet. You know, I've gotten trouble with that kind of thing. And it's unfortunate. I feel like my reputation one on one is good for the most part, even though I butted heads over over time. But, yeah, that's a thing like. 
people don't. Uh... But you have a lot to lose. Like, you know, we, we all saw what happened with Roseanne. I mean, literally one tweet ruined her life. You're on uh, TV shows. You're in huge movies. Your audience warm up to to shows that are on major networks that are owned by major companies. You send out one wacky tweet and uh, say you're asked to do audience warm up on an NBC show and Viacom or whoever owns NBC is like, uh, yeah, let's get that guy out. Yeah. I mean, even with like, uh, you know, major league baseball, if I wanted, wanted to do something with them, you know, Oh, let's research this guy's tweets or maybe I did something on somebody's podcast. Who knows? But you know what? I think when you're a comedian, uh, they do give you a little, little leeway on some things. I'm not saying they allow racism. That's not something, or they're, uh, you know. Well, I mean, the Roseanne tweet was like, you just, I mean, Jesus Christ, you, you can't even like. But why, yeah, why even, yeah, she was pushing it. I mean, that's like, there's crossing the line, and then there's like obliterating the line. But did you, I'm not defending her tweets. I'm not defending the tweets. Are you, did she cross a line? She crossed the line with the tweet. If you yes, but if you want to, I'm all into like. I've heard worse going the other way. I've heard a lot of. I'm saying what happened with Roseanne was definitely like inflamed. It was definitely a, a very charged atmosphere with her. Um, well, it's the same thing with a, it's, it's not having to do with a tweet necessarily, but a blog or the Chris Hardwick situation where uh, literally one, uh, I think it was a blog that his ex-girlfriend, yeah. uh, he's like within 24 hours, everything this guy's ever done. It's like being taken off the internet on Nerdist and like all right. And he wasn't even, she'd even say that he physically did anything. It was like mental abuse and it was, uh, but he didn't even get to tell his side yet. And it's like, too bad. Yeah, it's like threat of black. Um, well, okay. So he didn't get to tell his side. He's done. So you look at it. Do you blame AMC for doing that? Do you blame him? I think I, AMC probably didn't do it. Probably like said, we'll, we're going to cut ties because we don't want to deal with the hassle. I don't know if it's like we disagree with what you're saying. They probably said we just don't want to deal with this mob culture. It's possible. Um, I worked with Chris Hardwick. I did the audience warm up at uh, at midnight, and Chloe, his girlfriend, she was at the show. I never, I never sensed anything. It's nothing. Well, I don't know what was there to sense. Um, that's who Chris, I mean, the guy, if you look at the story, he's basically just laid down parameters for the relationship. It's like, this is who I am. I don't, I'd have to read it again, but this is who I am. You know, it's like, take it or leave it. I'm a 50, 40 year old guy host. You're young, you're younger. And I, I'm set in my ways and this is how I am. So she was probably hurt by it. And maybe it's like maniacal behavior but that's probably what it takes to be driven like that so i'm i again i don't want to i'm not defending anything i'm not asking you to no I because mean, somebody I mean, will go on the, the podcast or probably say, oh brody said this this outrage culture it is out of control it's like every tweet i think about I, it's no fun it's no fun because you feel like you're going to get jumped you're going to get jumped down even if you do a joke about something. And then it's no fun to go on there and just see the hate spewed by comedians you like from their, you like their comedy and you like them as people. 
And then you see him on there being, you know, the typical Trump derangement syndrome, no matter who you are, who you're voting for. That's just a fact of what these what they're calling it. And uh, that doesn't feel good. You know, I don't like to see people angry. I like to see happiness. Like when you had, you know, it was kind of cool seeing who's what we can do with this Kim Jong-il guy. Yes, he's a dictator. Yes, he killed people. But you know what? If you look at it on on a whole, maybe we get rid of the nuclear weapons. And you know what? It's entertainment. I look at it that way. I I'm into morale. I'm into energies. I feel pretty good, but the this outrage culture, it's a downer. And um, I'm not saying anything. I mean, I never tell people, like, I'm not trying to change people's lives. I'm trying to maybe change the minds. Not, I'm not trying to change the minds. I'm trying to, when I tweet out something, because I have certain comedians following me, I feel like, if I can maybe just give them, let them know that I know what the real deal is. Cause I'm, I grew up in the Valley. Like people would always put down the Valley. The Valley's bad. The Valley's this you're from the Valley, but all the TV shows, their production offices are based in the Valley. You know, Disney is in the Valley. Uh, all the, t- most of the, many of the TV shows are shot in the Valley. And why? Because the Valley has good vibes and they, would constantly put it down. And when I started, and I worked on these TV shows, bringing Valley Energy, blue collar, what I learned to these TV shows. And when I started hearing this negativity coming from people putting down blue collar types like myself, it didn't make sense to me. That's why I'm not saying I got political, but that's where I started like tweeting a little more, like only in a sense like, they're lying. They're, I'm not saying they're lying, but I've done so many audience warmups where I'm on the floor bringing positive energy to these shows. And my energy is what they completely dislike. You know, and and if you look at it now, where are the daily comedy shows with the th- the the three panelists the stand-ups they're not around first of all people don't want to see comedians they don't want to see a real comedian doing a panel like on Chelsea lately or even at midnight because it's known that comedians are negative these days but i would i would push positivity energy Fun, And then when they started saying like these things, and I started seeing these political tweets from these people. It's like, you don't think the way I think, and I'm putting out, I'm helping you. You're saying bad things, but I, the, 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 the bad things you're saying about people like me or where I'm from, I'm using it in the hangover. I'm using it at the hip clubs. I'm using it at the alternative rooms. I'm using it at the comedy store. I'm using it around baseball and you're telling me it's wrong that's where I like open my eyes up and I, I, I and I kind of like started just believing and uh, putting out that positive energy and I know it's like that's what they say Trump talks about but I, I did this back in college why why should I change and I, I let people know that 
you like Chelsea lately? Did you like you like the at midnight? Who was who was bringing it? Me, pushing it, and then it became harder to push the audiences. Oh, you can't yell at the audiences. Oh, this executive thinks you're you know you're scaring them, and then it just became harder and harder to care about a show. I could see it like the last couple of years, these audiences becoming more defiant, bad posture, talking back, being more of a pain in the ass because every year in school, it became, you know, um, less, you know, every year these kids are getting like less and less educated. And I started, you would see it because the paid audience, it's like the bottom of the barrel. So you're seeing the bottom of the barrel and every year, They'd become a little more defiant, eating in the show, just more of a pain in the ass. And these are adults. It's not like, oh, they're getting younger. They're just getting dumber. And that's what was happening. And I cared about the show too much. I cared too much. But the bottom line is that uh, Hardwick, that's what he is, I would say. Everyone's like piling on him. Go, yeah, he is a jerk. I would could have said, yeah, I mean, that's what you would hear like. You're just hearing people say, I mean, is getting, being a jerk, is that, is that a reason to be not work? I mean, you can't even be a jerk. You're not allowed to raise your voice. That's, that's grounds for being fired. I, I've gotten fired for doing my job. I've gotten fired for. How did you get fired? Um, I'll tell you a couple the couple of times I did were uh, right. this is where we cut off the Facebook live. Oh, we're still on Facebook? Yeah, yeah. We're, oh, okay. I thought we were off Facebook. It was too good. I wanted to keep Enjoy it going. Enjoy it. Uh for my Facebook Live freaks, and I think my freaks are your freaks. You got it. Where can people uh you got a special that's coming out? We're gonna talk about if you want to hear about Brody's special, you gotta listen to the rest of this on iTunes tomorrow. Uh, when's the special coming out? Comes out uh, the twenty. Oh, June nineteenth. It's released actually Tuesday, June nineteenth. On what? On iTunes and then the out of the, the stand up video iTunes. The albums on Amazon. And then, uh, where can people find you socially? Social media. Social media. Brody is me friend. Brody, you, you good guy. You me friend based off Tony and Mr. Lee, my bus boys in New York. Brody is me friend. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. And and you can find me, you know, all the so regular guys, places. This is the great Brody Stevens. Yes. I'm going to ask you that question, Brody. Tell us about how you got fired from a couple jobs, apparently. Well, I mean, only warm up wise. It will, and I'll tie it into. That's good. Okay. Well, when I was I was just talking about being fired, um, was, I mean, getting back to like people not knowing me when I, I worked on Zach's uh, Zach Alfinakis had a talk show on VH1 Late World with Zach. This is like 2004, something like that, and I was doing all the audience warm ups at Fox Sports. And then Zach brought me in to do the pilot in the first couple episodes. And the audience was essentially the same audience from Best Damn Sports Show. I like knew most of the audience. So I was doing the audience warm up and, you know, work in there and all that stuff. And after a couple shows, we got a, I, mean, I think we might have been after like the first test show. I got a call and they said, uh, yeah, they're going to use somebody else if uh, with the audience. 
they're not going to bring you back. And I go, what? Because, yeah, um, the, the guy, Fred Graver, who who's in a producer somewhere, thought I scared the audience. An audience because, that because I sure over the top, not loud, but you're boisterous. I was doing audience warm up. That's they wanted high energy. I did what I was doing. So I got they let me go. And then Zach was able to get me back. I came back and I, I, I did that. But that wasn't a, that's a time like he didn't know me. I got fired. Then I got fired. I was working at uh, a Nikki Glazer. I mean, Nikki didn't. I don't know what happened. I don't think she had me fired, but it was at Comedy Central and it was Nikki Glazer show. Uh, and I was doing the warm up there and did the first couple shows. And I thought it was OK. And then I got an email and they said, what can we do to make it more energetic? And, the, and I was just kind of like going with it the first shows. I wasn't fighting in it. I was letting them do their stuff. And then they said, like, what, what could, uh, you know, what could we do to make it, you know, more energetic? And I go, why don't you play some music when we're loading the audience and give me more than like five minutes to warm them up? Let's get some music and let me warm them up. Okay. So the next week we had more time. They played music. I did my warm up. Everyone loves it. Oh, Brody, you're doing a great job. We love it. They're all talking about you. I come back the next week. Same thing. We love it. Great job. Next week, come back, do it. Then I went to Arizona for something. I called back and I said, uh, just calling to get my call time. And they go, uh, yeah, they're going to you know, use the other guy. I got fired just like that. And so then I, I, uh, I, I asked the guy, so why did I get, I mean, why, oh, do you know why? And they just, they, I just did like did on the phone. I was just kind of like doing investigation, investigative questions. And I said, you know, do you know why anything like why would happen? He says, oh, I think we had a couple complaints. And I said, what well, really it was like, well, he says, yeah, a couple audience members. And I'm thinking audience members, freaking doped up paid audience members that's what you're talking about and then and then somebody and then he said well maybe an executive too who knows so then um i ended up talking to the producer the the, the head director producer guy and he essentially said it was because all, a couple audience members walked out and i go you're getting rid of me because of freaking paid audience members and then he goes and he says also you know i was uh I talked to you on the floor and I just didn't think you were like, you didn't look me in the eye. He told me like, meaning like you, I don't think you were into the show. And I go, look you in the eye. I go, you came down and talked to me in the middle of the show. I've go, I've done 3000 television audience warmups. I've never, ever had somebody come up to me, a producer, a writer and go, you didn't look me in the eye. And I don't, I don't think you're involved in the show. And that's why I got fired for that and a, and a complaint. And then that didn't feel good, of course. And then the, the, that show got canceled. It didn't come back. So that was a time. And then Can a, you say the show, it was, Nikki Gla it was not safe. It was not okay. safe for uh, Nikki Glazer. Yeah. And I thought I did a good job. You know, I did, I did Jesselnik's show for two seasons. He loved it. I did Jeff Ross's The Burn for two seasons. He loved it. I did uh, Ridiculousness for four seasons with uh, Rob Dyrdek. So I, I did Chelsea for 400 shows. 
I've done a lot of different shows. I did Wanda Sykes. I got let go from that too, but that's a whole other thing. What, we'll get into it, dude. It's not even worth it. These are the, but when I'm, when you're, I'm just being let go over, it's because I'm doing warm up. Your warm up is the last to be hired, first to be hired. You know what I'm saying? So why is that? They just don't, they don't factor it in. They don't realize how important the audience warm up is, how they, you know, help set the energy. They help get everything, you know, set up, lined up. Do you think, uh, does an audience warm up? Is it based on, okay, the host is, say, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. So we, Don and Jimmy are friends. They're going to have a good energy together. Or you and Zach, if Zach. Yeah, would. that can help. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it, do they factor in the host? Like with Gary Cannon, he's great for Conan because they're, you know, friends. Right. Uh, they can factor that in. Yes. I don't think Don probably interacts with Jimmy that much other than when he brings him out. So I guess there's something to that. I mean, I would bring out Chris Hardwick. Chris would talk to me, you know, so I, I think that uh, I, I don't I don't I think what I feel and what I what I say and all that stuff is. I think people are starting to see it today. Like I was ahead of the curve on a lot of these, on a lot of these issues. I was on the front lines and now everyone talks about, you can't say anything or guys are getting, Oh, you're not taking your meds or we're, you can't say this. You can't say that. So I felt that, you know, these things that I see now, it, it's not that uh, I'm not surprised by it. Let's get into taking your meds because on your show, uh, enjoy it. HBO Go, mm -hmm. you opened your cell. It was like real reality TV. Like you showed it all. Well, I mean, yes. In the But the only reason I did is because it was already out there. It's not something I wanted to do necessarily. But I think to see it visually is different. Like you, you could talk about right now not being on, uh, you know, whatever you're on or off. People go, okay, but to see it, like to see you go and get a prescription for you know, uh, Lamictal or, you know. Well, I mean. I think really drives it home. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, um, you know, I feel like meds, it's like you just have to be careful with them. And uh, I didn't, uh, I never, like, took any kind of medication growing up. I played sports. I didn't do any of that. And then when I started doing comedy, when I went to Seattle and I started doing comedy and it was like stressful, it was hard to do. I'm not that kind of guy who puts himself out there. I didn't like to. And it was like, didn't feel good, but I would get laughs. Oh, it's funny when you get mad, but it was bothering me physically. I didn't like it. So, and I was always like thinking, I was like sensitive, thinking all the time, too hard on myself. And I, I, this is in Seattle, and I learned about, like, uh, you know, about that, oh, maybe they they have medications that help you relax a little bit. So I looked into that, and I go, well, maybe I could take something that takes the edge off. And that's what I did. I went up to Seattle, and I, I, I tried this uh, med that um, that did take the edge off. Do you mind saying what it was? Oh, it was Luvox. What are you doing? You're typing what? Are you I'm doing? promoting. 
Instagram, Twitter saying, hey, look who's on my couch out tomorrow. Okay. A lot of people ask me how the podcast is doing so well right now. And I, I do the little things that probably other people don't. Most people don't put out a pre-podcast tweet or Instagram picture. But now everyone tonight going to sleep or maybe they're at the comedy store right now go, oh, Brody's on Earl tomorrow. Right, there you go. A couple extra hundred listens. There you go. Um, yeah, so I, I took it and it, I think it did help like take the edge off me. But it was... Uh, you know, and I went to New York. I didn't. I didn't take anything. It's when I came back. When I came back, and I was this whole like Facebook and the promotion stuff. It's stressful. When I got into comedy, I wasn't doing the what email wasn't around. Social media wasn't around. These things weren't around. So when I I didn't when I got into it, I I didn't have those um, responsibilities. And so then when you get into Facebook. It was like I needed something to take the edge off. It was like this is like stressing me out somewhat. Because you're throwing yourself out there. Yeah, More but I never had I never had problems with anybody in high school. Nothing, nothing in college, nothing in Seattle, nothing in New York, nothing. And so. When I started taking my doctor, my my regular doctor said, "Here, take this. You'll you'll take a little bit of the edge off, or what have you." And I did, and it it did take the edge off. It was the, then, so because I I took Luvox, and when I went to New York, I didn't take anything. I didn't have any problems in New York. Nobody said, "Oh, this guy's out of control." Nothing. I played baseball at Arizona State at a high level. I can't handle pressure. I can't handle responsibility. But do you find the pressure, uh, like in baseball, if you if you pitch a bad game, mm -hmm. you could maybe blame the catcher. He gave me the wrong signals, or the coach. No, I blame it. myself usually. But I mean, you, I'm saying you could. But in, yeah. I find in stand up, the pressure is brutal because there's no one to blame. You wrote the joke. You're saying the joke. Now, when it goes great, that's what makes it a great business. You get all the reward. But. I think there's more pressure in stand-up than any business on earth. I don't know. I mean, unless you're the president of the country. You don't think like playing baseball is more stressful out there in front of like 50,000 people on TV, these cameras? Or, I mean, I think playing a team sport is, of course it's stressful. Yeah. I mean, you do comedy. It's like half these guys have, have their acts memorized. You're up there. You're reciting your lines. But I mean, it's all on you. Like in baseball. What about uh, when you're pitching? It's very individual. The focus is on you, but you could, uh, you know, blame blame the umpire for a small strike zone, and you could blame a bad crowd. You, you you could, but when I've been on shows with you and maybe struggled or Brian Holtzman and struggled, and then see you guys kill, it ain't the crowd; it's me. Well, yeah, I never blame the crowd. I mean, but I, I'm saying I I have blamed the crowd. Most people say you should be able to get anybody. You know, I mean, sometimes laughing. it's not possible. Right. Um, but I, I guess my point is I'm, I see why you took what you took because stand-up is, I think, the uh, spotlight is smaller. Yeah, but when I, when, I, when I took Luvox, it relaxed me. I said to myself, why didn't I take this in college? It probably would have taken the edge off right. is what I'm saying. Like, that's all I needed. I, didn't, I wasn't, 
I, I wasn't like, oh, I'm depressed. I can't, I don't know why all of a sudden. I knew why I, I was just like idle time. So we're staring in the mirror, like, but this comes from childhood stuff. Do you understand? So it all, everything says it comes from your childhood and it does. So I needed something to take the edge off, to have the wheels like stop thinking. And then comedy was difficult for me. That's why a lot of people would drink, you know, go up there. They had to drink. I wasn't a drinker or drugs or, or drugs. I wasn't doing that, but I, I, I did take the medication and it did. It, 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 I'm going to say it put me in a good mood, but I think it did take some of the edge off. It gave me some kind of buzz almost. And I felt I would think to myself, I should have taken this in college. I would have been like more relaxed out there possibly. So, but then I go to New York and because I went to a different state, I couldn't take my prescription over there and I just went off it. It was like no big deal. And I I wanted to go to New York. I lived in New York, wanted to do comedy. Then when I came back here in 2000, around 2001 or what have you is when I started, I went to the doctor and I go, this Facebook and all this stuff, is there anything I can like? Because it is, yes, comedy was stressful, working. It was, and I, and I didn't feel bad about taking it because people talk, comedians talked about that kind of stuff. And I took it before it like took the edge off. So I had no, there's no shame. There wasn't a shame issue with it. So um, I did that. And then I took it like on and off for like eight years or whatever. So I never knew that it was dangerous to stop your meds cold turkey. Nobody told me. So when I, I did have a, I did, and that's what I tell people. I say a couple things. If you're taking a medication and you feel good, just keep taking it. That means it's working. That's one rule of thought. You're taking a medication and it feels good. Just stay on it. Like you want to get off it. That's where you have your problems. You're adjusting. You know, if you are going to adjust, you should do it with a doctor. So for my situation, when I had my issue, when people go, oh, Brody had a breakdown. Because you went into a hospital, right? For those that didn't watch the show or it's been, you know, been a couple of yes, years. Yes, and Kanye went to a hospital too. So I kind of led the way for that. You opened up for Kanye. But you were in a, was it a... a UCLA. You, Kanye went to UCLA. The psych ward. Well, that's where they put you. This is what happened. So I'm working at Chelsea. I'm doing warm up. I'm doing my spots at the comedy store. I was in the hangover. I'm doing stuff. The number one R-rated movie of all time. You got it until Ted knocked it off and then hangover too. Okay. So, and I'm doing warm up and I knew that Zach always wanted to do some kind of show with me. So I knew I had something other than warm up down the road that could happen. But I still did my job with the warm up, but it was like I had almost nothing to lose. Like you're I'm gonna grow out of it because I have this TV thing possibly, but I was still doing a good job. So doing the warm up, and then I kind of like butted heads at the the Chelsea show. But again, you're doing warm up. You're gonna butt heads when you're bringing energy. It's the hardest job. So I do my do this pilot with Zach. It gets picked up, and I was like just even keel because I didn't. You know, it's like a pilot presentation got picked up. Okay, good. Then we do the pilot. Good. They like that. Then they they bought the pilot. So I'm staying in the pocket, just doing my thing. And 
my friends or my people that I was working with, oh, you got to take a victory lap, have fun. This is great. You don't seem like you're excited. And I was excited. They were saying, go have fun, do this. So I was booked to go to Dublin comedy, Dublin, Ireland, and then Montreal. So those two things to go to. So I'm thinking, I'm going to go to Dublin. I'm going to have some fun there. And then I read up if you, because I was taking my meds. I was just taking like, there was 20 milligrams of Lexapro. And uh, they said, well, if you want to go drink beer, somebody said that like, oh, want to go drink beer. I just cut back on my meds for that night or that, that, that little trip. So I went there and I just cut back a couple nights and my shows were good. I felt good. I was able to drink beer, no problems. Then I flew directly to Montreal from Dublin. And the first day I'm there, I'm feeling great. And then the next day, boom, I got hit with this crazy flu. Couldn't swallow. The worst I felt like in years. And it just hit me. And so then I had to cancel shows. And I go downstairs to the the clinic. They have the, the festival doctor. And they said that, he said, I have strep throat. So he looked at me, he says, take the Z-Pack. Give me antibiotic. He says, you'll feel better in 24 hours. So I couldn't swallow. And I was feeling good when I got there on, when I landed in Montreal that first day. And I figure I'll just keep, I think I was taking like, I cut my meds down to like 10 milligrams because I was feeling good. Just keep it up. But then the, the sickness hit me. Boom. I couldn't even swallow. Take the Z-Pack. The next day, I feel better. I feel good. And I'm going, you know, I haven't taken my med for a couple of days. I feel good. Maybe I'll just keep doing it. And then I, I felt better. And, and then I did my shows. I did a few more shows. And I was happy. And then I was thinking, okay, I'm going back to LA. They asked me to host TMZ. I have some cool things going on. We're going to film this. I'm going to go do some Dodger stuff. So I'm excited. And I was in Montreal and I felt fine. I was having fun, having a good time. Mike Faverman was there, a comedian friend of ours. And he was one guy who said, Brody, you're talking a lot. He told me that I was talking a lot. And I go, I'm just feeling good. So then... I come back, right? I land back in LA and uh, a couple of my friends like saw me. One was like mad. He goes, what's with you? Are you on drugs or something? I go, no, I'm happy. I'm fine. And I wasn't on drugs. I was just, I was on that Z pack and my meds, I was like, either wasn't taken or I was taking half of it. Because I was taking tapering down, but on my own, that's a mistake. I didn't realize because I've done it before, but you tie in the Z pack and then you tie in the traveling. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to say the pressure, but when I came back and these guys are like coming down on me, like what's wrong with you? I go, I'm happy. You're telling me to have fun. And then I would go to, so then there, so they were like, my buttons were being pushed. A little bit. And then I did the TMZ and I did a good job. So I felt like I did TMZ. I did a good job. And I felt like, okay, I could be doing this media stuff. And then, so I did TMZ. They're coming down on me and I'm not taking my meds. And it was just a perfect storm of like, F you. You guys going to tell me what to do? And then it was like, everyone who was like not nice to me in the past, I went on Twitter and go like, F you. I, you know, I work for TMZ now, which I w- did. I did TMZ. I'm not saying I worked for him, but I did it. But these guys, people were like 
pushing my buttons. So, and I pushed back. And then I went to Starbucks in Studio City, and I just was around these actor types, these, I could just pick up their negative energy because I was happy. You see, I wasn't on those meds. I was happy. So they picked up on this happy energy, and I can tell they're like being haterish. I go, what are you negative about? Because you're not in a movie. You're not on TMZ. I could tell like, because I had nothing. There was like not saying no filter, but I was like being real. So I was like pulling out these negative actor types and like, you know, having confrontations with them. I was combative a little bit, but I was right. And then, so I go, I remember I went home and I also said when I was saying like these people were coming down on me, I go, I have a gun because they called me like in tears, Brody, what's wrong with you? I go, I'm fine. I'm happy. And they just didn't, again, they cared, I'm not saying my friends didn't care. And I'm not saying that I wasn't acting out of character. I'm saying it was a combination of a lot of things on top of the meds. I wouldn't call it a breakdown. They were, oh, you had a breakdown. No. You were poking a guy who probably shouldn't have been poked. You can poke people, you know. If you poked, I mean, you know, that's what they were doing. They were used to like, oh, you could, we could poke Brody, it was fine. Now you poke me, it's like, I'm not fine. Why? Because I'm not the warm-up guy anymore. Now I'm, you told me to celebrate. See what I'm saying? So I came out of my shell maybe, and they weren't used to it. There was a little bit of that, like, oh, you're not being the Brody we know. Now you're, and it's like, I couldn't like test out. But the reason why I was like testing out, part of it was because I didn't have those meds holding me back. So I went to Starbucks, same thing. I like saw a guy walk in there. The guy had like similar shoes to me. He had a Dodger shirt on or Dodger hat. I had a Dodger shirt. And I go, oh, those are cool shoes. I got the same ones. Oh, look at the hat. That's a connection. I didn't say connection. And he was like, uh, I'm on the phone. Like a, I go, why are you being a jerk? I'm just being a nice guy. And he goes, I go, I, I, what's wrong with you? And I, this is like a few years ago. I go, what's wrong with me? I go, this guy's being an a-hole. I go, I can't be nice to somebody. And he goes, so he complained, of course. And then the cops came. But this was based, this was also, here's the other thing, the night before, because I put out some of those tweets. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is weird. But but here's the deal. I was one of the first guys to do it. How many people have gone on Twitter meltdowns since then? A lot of people have gone on Twitter tirades. I'm not saying, I'm not defending. I'm not defending, but I am on the ground floor of a lot of things. I was a ground, I was on the ground floor of maybe lashing out on Twitter. Did I have a gun? No. Was I going to uh, attack comedians? No. But were they jerks to me? Yeah. What was that one video, though, of you were in the car and I think there was a kid in like a 7-Eleven yeah. lot? Can you, because, can you explain that one to, if it, that one this was is around that time, right? Yeah, these guys are all over me, like coming on, you know, like what's wrong with this, what's, you know, Brody, we're worried about you. And that's what like added stress to me. Like, what are you worried about? I'm good. I'm happy, which I was. So... I go to 7-Eleven down the street, and I, and there's a, a guy there, uh, I'll say a transient type guy or homeless, but not, 
I'm going to say maybe, maybe vagrant, maybe transit, not like. Like a boon shakalaka type. Yeah, but maybe a little bigger, actually, because he's kind of small and frail. So I pull up, and I think I went in. I was getting in my car, and I see this guy, like, walking up to cars and asking people from, you know, walk like, panhand, like, going up to cars, though. So I see this girl, like, who was, like, scared in her car. I could tell, like, he was coming up. She, like, rolled up her window, and he was like, excuse me. And then I rolled it and rolled the window down. I go, why don't you stop effing with people? You know, you're scaring the you're scaring people. Get the F out of here. That's what I said. And then. But who was recording? That? I was. I held the camera up. And what was his response? I don't know. Something was gonna like step towards me and I I left. I like took off. I mean, I was uh, honestly, I was sticking up for the girl. He right. was, he was, he was, the girl was uncomfortable. I saw it. So that's what I did. I was sticking up for the girl. And then I put it up on the, I put up, I probably shouldn't have put up on the computer, but I was so in like, you know, in a performance state. And that's the other thing. I was putting these tweets up and people, oh, they loved it. I was getting traction. People liked the tweet. So I just kept doing it, but it wasn't. I never had a gun. I never wanted to hurt anybody. I never wanted to, in that way, like, you know, um, you know, random attacks on people. I got an argument at the comedy store with somebody. I mean, people get into fights. Remember I told you I'm getting, I was getting fired for raising my voice. People call the cops on you if you get an argument. It's like they're just... That's what was going on. So I was kind of like, okay, you want to keep pushing? I'll push. And, you know, they sent the cops to my house. That kind of like early on when they were like worried. And I, I, I would have liked if, you know, my friends came together as a group, maybe. I don't know. I could have just used a vacation. But the whole thing was they did care. I'm not saying people don't care. It wasn't like nobody cares about me. It's like you care too much almost. And then it was just, you know, I did this stuff on Twitter. So I figured it was already out there in the open and nobody said, Hey, you let's show this on TV. I said, yeah, maybe we'll do it. Like I felt like I didn't, it was weird putting putting it on TV, but since people already knew about it, like through Twitter, I figured like, okay, I'll put it out there. And then people told me, said, Brody will probably help people. It's kind of a rock and roll thing. And you know what? Looking back on it, it was. Because honestly, you look at Kanye West. He went into a, he, even though people are like, they're, people are down on Kanye West because of all this Trump stuff, but they're not down on him because he went to the hospital. It's like, you can go to the hospital. It's like accepted these days. It's almost like a rehab. I mean, I could have gone to a rehab. I could have easily have been sent to Hawaii for 10 days. I could have, but I felt like these guys were coming down on me. And because I didn't have that buffer of the medication, you were getting like a true, honest reaction. And... That, that I'm not, again, I'm not blaming anybody, but I feel as though that, um, you know, it's like 
none of my sports friends, guys, what I'm saying, like this didn't happen in sports. This would be like Brody, go home. People like you get into a fist fight on a baseball team. It's like, okay, that happens. You get into a fist fight with at a comp with a comedian or somewhere. Oh, what's wrong? Something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? It's like boys can't be boys. Can't like. So and when you're a big guy or you're older like myself or what have you, it can like freak people out. I think I was just being in Hollywood, being around the these kind of like looking at it now, I feel like I was ahead of the curve because you're looking at, you know, even with my show, it was like, I'm from the Valley. I'm a blue collar guy. The people that were involved in the show, the writers and some of the producers, they're all like from Venice. They're all like skateboarders from Venice. So the first season was like, we're doing a show about a guy from the Valley. That was the HBO one. They kind of like did a show about me. Then the second season when it was on Comedy Central, I feel like, okay, it's on Comedy Central. I got to add some comedy. I'm pushing it. I'm feeling good. And then I had some problems with that with some of the guys because I feel like they weren't completely in tune with my stand-up. The Comedy Central people. Not the Comedy Central. Well, some guys working on the show because they weren't... Since that first season on HBO Go, my comedy got a lot better. My comedy improved. So the second go around, it's like, I'm not that guy who's doped up. That's the other thing. Like, when I had that, and they, you know, they called the cops and went to the hospital. It was like out of control. And then they put me on heavy meds. They put you on Depakote. They put me on Seroquel. I was like on the heaviest dosages. It was like a straight it was like a chemical straight jacket and you saw me i was like in a a, a a haze i mean there were nights at the comedy store when uh I, i'm not trying to be funny or i'm not roasting you right okay. now. okay uh that you look like jack nicholson at the end of cuckoo's nest like you were there but you weren't there well i'll tell you what when i was on depakote which is what is that? These are heavy drugs. But what is its intended effect? To- um, Depakote is like I want to say lithium, maybe. Okay. And then Seroquel is the same kind of thing, like antipsychotic. They knock you out, so they just make you sleep. Right. But if you smoke pot with the Depakote or the the Seroquel, not a good mix. So those nights, like when you saw me, like. I was because I smoked pot on it is what I did. You're not you can't do that. Like, look at me now. Pretty good, right? Very clear. Very. Yeah. And I smoke pot today. Yeah. All the time. But because with that Seroquel and that that pot, it didn't. I, I remember I'd be sitting there like I'm in a zone. I knew I was zoned out. But I was, but I was on these pills and it just was bad. And I, I felt like I'm, I don't. I was given these pills because I acted out. I'm not going to be on these pills the rest of my life. They're making me depressed. So I was able to like slowly get off them where I'm not on that stuff anymore. Are you on anything? I take 10 milligrams of Lexapro and I take 200 milligrams of Lamictal, which is... Every day? Yeah, which is... I just take it because you're supposed to. They say if you're taking Lexapro... You should have like a little 
a something beneath it, like uh, a, a buffer. Sa- that's what they call it. So I don't even notice the. I don't even feel it. I just take it because I'm supposed to. I honestly, I could probably taper down, but as I mentioned earlier, there's no need to. So in terms of like side effects, I don't think I have any. Um, but that uh, yeah, I I I don't think. I think that you just have to be careful. It's like guys could go on a bender. You've heard stories. I just I just feel like what happened to me, you know, and then sometimes like people will joke about, oh, you had a breakdown. That just a couple times recently people said that. So that makes me not really want to promote the show. You know, my old, hey, watch my uh break in other people's minds breakdown. Yeah. But, but comics love to see other people uh, in that state of mind that you were in, like uh, either because they're insecure about them themselves or they just right. frankly like it's like some comics love watching another comic bomb. Right. Because they well, feel bad about their shitty act or shitty lives. Oh, Brody's fucked up. This is great. I think most people were like on my side. I, I have not like gotten too much any like negative. I think comedians like me. And that's the other thing. Like I trust my instincts. You are a comics comic. Yeah, comics like me. So, and I can like also know that because through my experiences, people may not get me right at first. So, like I didn't. Right. But then I, but I feel like even today, like I'll say, like I'm on stage, I go, if they don't laugh at something, I go, so you're not laughing? Okay. Well, are you on the show? Are you on the marquee? Did you park for free? Do they give you Red Bull? Free. Free. So I'd listen to me. If I think something's funny, it may be funny. I have no reason to lie. So I, I pull that approach. Like, I always feel like, because when you're different, I I, I mean, I can't, I'm constantly have to reprove myself. I would have that with these TV shows. You'd get like a new executive producer every year on a show and they go, I don't get this guy. I go, I've been here for a year doing a great job. And then you get them on, then they get you. And then a year later, another guy comes in. Uh, what is with this guy yelling? And it's like every, you're constantly having to resell yourself. And as I mentioned earlier, it's like, it's harder and harder these days. So that's why I really don't do the warm up. And then on top of that, there aren't the shows. It's an energy. It's pushing. And I'm only saying it based off stuff I've seen happen. You know? So, and it's proven. It's easy to, I mean, Putting out energy and positive vibes, it is proven. You put that out, something good comes back. That, you know. I didn't used to believe that, but I very much so do now. And it's not guaranteed and it's not easy, but your chances, you give yourself a chance. And people like to be around that. People like to be around uplifting positive people. Well, I think in our business, people want to be around people they know are easy to work with and they'll do a good job. They'll show up on time. And then I think that's the same thing with you and me. Yeah. But you also want funny. Well, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like sometimes the guys are funny, but they might be a little hard to work with. So you gotta have to find that thing. That's why you gotta have like proper, you know, representation of you. Like I'm a comedian. I'm an artist for me to have like, you know, I know you got to like look out for money or whatever, but certain things you have to have a manager speak for you because it's like 
I'm a nice guy. I can be taken advantage of. But if you have a manager speak for you, then you don't have to. Uh, you oh, yeah. You, you, I think a manager's role is to be the bad guy. Right. And I put myself in situations where, you know, uh, I say yes to things. Right. Because you're a uh, workaholic. Well, I mean, I think I'm a nice guy. And I also think like what, you know, some some of these jobs I like I like to do them. Not you know I'll do a job that is kind of cool and something maybe something's involved with baseball or what have you. But um, no, I I have fun. I I definitely you know I'm th- I'm glad. Like the comp, my goal was like to do this special to get this one hour. It's like four. I don't know. It's like close to an hour. And where was it out. done at? At the comedy store. Late night, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I was getting all these late night spots that Tommy would give me and then add them. And I felt like they're giving me the, giving me the stage time. I get a cut of the door. I'm from L.A. I'm living in L.A. I'm getting to work in L.A. I don't have to worry about the travel. My mom is in Southern California. All these things, the Dodgers, all these things. The Palm Springs area, correct. Right. Uh, I don't want to say the city. That's Palm Desert, sorry. The Rancho Mirage. That area. So it just made sense for me. And then I did it so many times, and I felt like, you know what? I've done it so many times, I might as well capture this. Right. And that's what I was trying to do for like two or three years, like try to get something where we just capture the night. Yes, yes it's my special, but I'm also showing you what this is late at night. And this is what I got. Sorry. Meaning like I am not packing it in a theater. So, but the, it's, uh, I, the special, we shot it and, uh, Are you happy with the final result? I'm happy with it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, uh, um, perfect nothing would be perfect but i think i'm happy with it what i've seen what i did with it it kind of it captured that night if you're gonna say like did it capture what i did that night yes i was there um but you know some nights are better than others you know and i i was doing a special so did it capture me that night doing the special yes it did so i feel like what i've seen it did now looking back on it would I do things a little differently or this? Or that? Maybe. Like what? Well, I wanted like, I mean, I don't know if when I was, we would edit it, right? The the company that edited it, they do a lot of specials. So it was edited like somebody, the editor didn't know me. Do you see what I'm saying? I need to have on whatever project I'm doing next, I would like to have director, editor, you know, who know you who know me and have i felt like the concept i was putting out i was fighting it not because oh, oh it wouldn't work it's because they didn't know so they would see me and they would like try to make it like this is how they do the special and i go well this is not this is kind of a late it's a late night it's not a typical thing and right then, it's not a packed I, theater at 8 p.m. exactly it's late night at the store which I don't think, unless you've been there, unless you're Hermosa Beach, Marion Donald. Right. 
you know, late night at the Laugh Factory, I'm sure it's fine. Late night at the Improv is good. Hermosa Magic. But nothing beats late night at the Comedy Store. It's, you have to have been through it to get it. Yeah. And it was a uh, it was a pretty good one. It was a yeah, you had people, a thin crowd, and it started off crowded, then it tapered down. Like I would show like the packed house and all the comedians, <laughs> and then throughout the night with like a timestamp, and then I come out around midnight, and I do my do my set, and it's uh, crowd work, going through the crowd, drumming, yelling. I got a lot of jokes in. I mean, it was like a year and a half ago, so I'm. I think I'm a diff- different comedian now, like more evolved. Oh sure. So there's a little bit of that looking at it, and then again, I'm not complaining at all. Like, oh, I wish it was this, and wish it was that. But I, I, I and I think because of that, maybe it's gonna, it's gonna, it, it gives it a kind of a look. It is kind of like a, it is a a professional. It's like trying to be professional, but it's also getting that zaniness in. It's it looks good, but there's also has that zaniness in. And I think like with these with these camera adjustments I made and some edits and some context, I I because there wasn't context. They didn't know. And then I had to add these certain things to give it that context. And uh I think if you know me, you'll like it. If you don't know me, you'll probably be interested in it. And, but, you know, it's like, I already feel like if I was to do another special, I'd def- I think I'd do uh, something more mellow or maybe something more about the preparation. I got it in. I, I, again, I don't, I'm not embarrassed about it. I feel good that it's all me and there's no drama, there's nothing with this stand-up special that there's seriousness about or any kind of like drama. It was all, it was all me for the most part. And, uh, that's the way it goes. I'm curious. I don't know how it's going to be received to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't think, I don't know what kind of numbers it's not, you know, it's on iTunes and the albums on Amazon. Maybe somebody will get the, the, they'll be, you know, they'll get the album on Amazon. They go, hey, I want to see the the video part of it. Who knows? But to me, it's not the end all be all, but it's something I wanted to do. I think all comedians want to do a special. Sure. Do their own thing. And I would say I got about 70, 75% of what I wanted to do on, on the special. With everything that I was given, all everything involved, 75% I got in. And that's great. This next one, I want to get in 90 to 95%. But would you have someone, and I don't say these few names because they're famous, but yeah. because they get you, like, and you've worked with them, someone like a Zach or a Sarah Silverman who goes, Brody, this is what we want. This is what we saw when we worked with you. Do this, and this is going to be a great special. Instead of, like someone who'd never seen you before. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the one that didn't see me before, I was I was able to I mean, I did my show and I just had to help pick these pick these edits and uh add like I said, add some context and that sort of thing. Yeah, if Zach wanted to do a special or if I pick somebody that knows like a Chelsea, me, 
people you I'm not, I'm not saying her but like but even don like you you known don for what 12 15 years maybe he comes in and consults like hey bro do you remember when we did this that would be good or something like that i mean these days you can raise probably a couple three grand to do a special oh it's uh never been easier yeah uh, so i think right uh to do stuff on your own yeah so i'm gonna let this come out there see what happens with it and it's out when June nineteenth on very iTunes soon. video on iTunes. It's on Amazon, Amazon. Also, the the album portion. And again, I'm not BSing. I like it. It's good. It's not amazing. It's different. I think, like I said, if you know me, you'll like it. If you don't know me, you might be interested by it. And I think it would also maybe, hopefully, leave somebody leaving them to want more. What's up next with this guy? I'd like to see this guy. You know, roast battle. I don't want to do. I'm not into roast battle. I'd, I'd be more into like doing my set, like the prep, going to the comedy store, doing um, almost like a documentary special. Like they show you leaving your house. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. But even the next one, I feel like, and guys have done. You can do whatever you want. I do shows in Hollywood. I do shows outdoors. I do shows. And, you know, crazy bars, you can do something like that where you take, you're doing like five, you know, do the, it's like one night with Brody where I do 20 minutes at this venue, 20 minutes at that venue, 20 minutes at that other venue. Boom. That's a special right there. You know what I mean? Like have somebody come around. This is Brody. This is my special. We're going to do 20 minutes outdoors. We're going to do 20 minutes in this crazy environment. And then we do 20 minutes or whatever. You're going to see my, you know, but, and that's been done, I'm sure. But again, it's just doing it. It's content being organized. I think if you ask me, I'm a comedian. I know that the comedy store is popular. I try to put all of my energy and all my good thoughts into the comedy store. It's like I'm ride or die with the comedy store. Oh, so am I. I mean, I, but like I've told people this, you know, when, when people ask me, what my goal is i always reference you and i'm not trying to kiss your ass but like i love how you can play any room in the city not many comics can some people are comedy store comics right some are improv uh some are ucb Uh, that's not stand up but like yeah they do stand up some i remember when i used to see at the netting factory yeah like you could walk into a black room and be like oh my god brody's here like that's what I think most comics should strive for. Like, you could play anywhere and do well anywhere. At the comedy store, late yeah. night, at the improv at 8 p.m., Laugh Factory at whatever, 10 p.m. You'd like to be able to do that, yeah. But you can. You're one of the few who can go and, uh, you know, is another one. He can. He does well wherever he right. plays. Uh, you know, some comics, they kill at the store. They don't do well at the improv. Or vice versa. Yeah. You know, like Dan Cook's not a comedy store guy per se. Right. You know, he's an improv laugh factory guy. Yeah. Uh, Stores, maybe not his energy. I'm a comedy store guy. But you could play everywhere else. Yeah. And I like the other places, too. Don't get me wrong. I like those places. Um, What is it about the store, though? Because I've tried to figure this out. Like, to me, it's like part of it's the names on the walls, like the Stanley Cup. Like, your name's on that wall forever. You, You know... We're the same age. We'll be dead in probably 50 years. 
in a hundred years, our names will still be where they are. Well, unless it's torn down or painted over. Oh, don't say that. Well, you never know. I mean, look, Yankee Stadium is gone. Right. It but happens. What, what, like, I find that every comic in the country, it's much like the cellar in New York or the stand. Like, you want in at those two clubs. People in New York, they want the comedy store. Why? The, what makes the store so special to you? I mean, to me, Mitzi made that place where it's personality driven. It was about your point of view, your voice, your character, your your jokes, your you could be weird and different. Whereas like these other clubs, weird and different is they don't want that. They want jokes. They want relatability. They want, oh, this is my best friend. He, whereas the comedy store, Mitzi, I'm, I know she probably liked wacky and Like a different. Kennison in the robes and a dice with the leather jacket. Exactly. Who may not have been accepted as, say, the laugh factor. Even Polly with his crazy hair and his shorts and all that, the totally Polly years, everything. So Mitzi put that, she's to thank for that. And then I think also, you know, it's so, it's dark and simple. You know, go to the laugh factory, it's bright and happy. It's, you're at a McDonald's. Improvs has a little bit of that as well, but the comedy stores like you can get lost there. You could hide out in the corner and observe, literally, because it was so dark. Um, I grew up, you know, I grew up in L.A. and my mom dated Jack, her boyfriend, who lived up the road here, up on Altaloma. So I'd look out the patio. This is like in the mid '80s. I'd look out off the balcony and I could see the lights of the comedy store. I would see it. And I was not, I was a baseball guy. I liked baseball. I could also see the lights from Dodger Stadium. I'd be looking at that too. But I could tell there was energy, something happened happening there at that comedy store. And when I came back in 90, when I was graduating in 93, and I want I was looking into trying comedy. When the football guy said I was, when I was doing the acting class, he said, Brody, you should do stand-up. You're funny. That's when I started like 93, I started looking into the stand-up. So when I came back to L.A. in the summer of 93, I worked on a student film where I was learning all about how filmmaking. And I was staying at my family's place in Tarzana. So I had like six months to kind of like figure things out. Um, so I worked on that student film. But then I took, I, 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 want, I said, I got to pursue the comedy. I got to try, see if I like it. Because I like the acting. I was getting laughs without trying. Why don't I try comedy? So I was like looking through the LA Weekly and there was really nothing there. And then they had the the learning annex, the UCLA extension. And they had a stand-up comedy class. You saw stand-up comedy, like 12, uh, 12 uh, weeks. And it's taught by Sandy Seashore from the Comedy Store. And you have your final performance at the Comedy Store. So I knew, I go, I get to perform at the comedy store and I get to learn from Polly's sister. That's cool. And then it's at UCLA, which I always like liked UCLA, wanted to be a part of it. So it was like a $300 course or something. I signed up and every Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, I would drive to UCLA from the Valley and I was excited to go there. It's like, I'm going to UCLA. I'm going to go do my two minutes in front of my class and I'd get there and I'd be all excited and 
they'd do my jokes and you know, some would work, some wouldn't. And they would all like laugh at me for being me. Oh, it's funny when your jokes go bad. We laugh at that. So I knew back then people liked me even when my jokes were bad. But they said the same thing about Johnny Carson. Like some yeah, of his- same kind of stuff. And so the class would end and I always talk to Sandy after the show. After class, I just like, you know, talk about comedy or UFOs. But it was mostly about stand up and just totally talked about stand-up and i knew like having sandy that was one step from the comedy store basically having having her in my corner learning everything through her i knew i was getting that that the shore family energy so i would do the class and then every class i'd drive by the comedy store and i'd look at it i would never go in but i drive by sunset boulevard and i go maybe one day i'll be in there i don't know i'm gonna have my graduation class and then like 12 weeks later, whatever, we had the graduation class on a Sunday night in the original room. It was packed. I had like five friends in there. And I went up and I did well. Boom. It was like eight minutes. Crushed. I mean, pretty good. And then, but it's a bringer show. And then after, like people were giving me their business cards. Hey, you, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm sure that stuff still happens today. So I felt like I was a comedian. And then I did... uh an open mic out in Chatsworth like a couple days later. And it was like, I can say it was dismal. It was just a lot different. And I said, uh, I get it. I see how it is. And I understand because I took the comedy workshop. I kind of like knew a little bit. And I said that I'm not going to go this route. I'm not going to be, I'm not saying I was disrespected, but I, and I wasn't going to be felt like an outcast in my own neighborhood. I felt like, I got the open mic scene. I just wasn't going to do that. I made it. I knew right there after one open mic in LA that I'll never do another one here. Not a, not, not a bar open mic out in the Valley because I'm from the Valley. It was just a bad, not a bad experience, but it was an experience right away that I could see through the BS. I'm not some guy who moved to LA with stars in his eyes that ended up in the Valley at open mic. Okay. I was like, I'm from the Valley. And now I got a guy who's hosting a show in the Valley who's going to kind of like call the shots on me. I didn't like it. And I wasn't mad. I just wasn't going to go that route. So what did I do? I went back to UCLA and learned about the business of comedy. So I treated comedy just like I did baseball in school, learn everything I could about it. That's soak it in, educate. So I learned all about the business. I learned about contracts. I learned how clubs were run. I learned about the business of it. And then the the instructor, Danny Rob Danny Robinson or Danny, I think he works at UTA or APA still. He said, if you want to do stand up, he says, you got to get out of Los Angeles. Don't start here. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. That's what he told me. And Literally, like uh, a little while after that, they had the Northridge earthquake, and I was already researching. Am I going to go to Phoenix, where I had friends but no real scene, or Seattle, where I had family? And I was researching Seattle. It's like, wow, they're really, you know, my uncle said, come up here. They support the arts. They're into it. Whereas Phoenix, not so much. So I was working out in the valley, just kind of spinning my wheels, and they had that earthquake boom in January of 94. A week later, I drove up to Seattle, and I just jumped into the open mics there. And that's where I met Joey Diaz, Josh Wolf, 
Craig Gass, Mitch Hedberg was up there. What about the great Mr. Obayashi? Yoshi was up there. Bushman was up there. Didn't you guys, didn't you and Yoshi work at a porn store? Yoshi worked at uh, Uptown, Up. Uh, excuse me, uh, worked at Taboo Video with Tana. I didn't work there. Did you say Bushman was up there? Yeah. Lahai. Yeah. Well, that's from great. Seattle. Um, so, yeah, we were all up there. And I sold T-shirts for the Seattle Supersonics. I worked at Red Robin. I did everything that I wanted to do in Seattle that L.A. was too spread out and too big for me. Seattle, you know, regular audience members would go to the comedy clubs, to the open mics. You had more, you had culture up there. So, I, And it was a big city, but you could also get around. So Seattle was good for me for three years, and I did my cable access show. I was a people were like characters up there, you know. They were it was Seattle. I don't. I mean, they were interested in coming to L.A., but not totally. And uh, I learned. I found my voice in Seattle. And I remember Joey Diaz said, "Brody, you got to go to New York. You got to go. They'll like you there." And I always wanted to go to New York. And then my friend got a job with the Yankees. So I had a reason like to, you know, go there a little bit. And I went out to New York and I just, same thing, jumped into the open mics. But those New York comedians, were they were tough on me at first. You know, who's this new guy? And I said to myself, I was popular in Seattle. I was well-liked in college. It ain't me, it's them. So instead of like getting upset or pouting or this. I just kind of like weathered the storm and they ended up coming around. And to this day, I'm still good friends with a lot of these guys. Some of them, I mean, yeah, but I, it also like revealed who they were certain people, but so I did that. And the baseball prepared me for that. Moving up to Seattle prepared me for that. So when I came back to LA you know, it's like I'm uh, it prepared all those all these steps prepared me. And then even today, when you see all this craziness going on in the world and on Twitter and in comedy and all that stuff, I've been through it before. So I'm prepared for it all for the most part, you would think. So, yeah, New York was good. And then I came back to L.A. and just. Uh, I got passed in the comp Bobby League. I write like right away. I got passed in there. So, boom. And like, I, I, I mean, I. Like I said, I get uh, I just like being a part of the family there. You know, it's like, yeah, having the name on the walls. Cool. Getting my name up on the marquee when I get up there is nice. But it was never like the end all be all, you know. Right. There are other uh, and I tell people, yes, you should aspire to be passed at the comedy store. To me, it's the number one club in the country. But there's other places. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not in there yet, I mean, because to be honest, it's like trying to get in at the comedy store now is like trying to get on an NHL team or NFL team. There's very few spots. Right. So, uh, you know, if you just wait till you get in at the store, it's going to be a while. Yeah. Even if you're fucking funny, even if you're a headliner. I get headliners coming up to me who tour the world going, how do I get in there? It's like, oh, dude, you know, just... Uh, it's luck it's recommendations it's hard work it's you know it, it you know but you know the improv's happening yeah you know there's other yeah uh, there's other clubs you know and if they're younger comics who aren't quite known yet it's like there's 
This uh, the Hooters open uh, on Wednesday nights. The Hooters show slash open mic after the show is a great place to be around store comics. Yep. who can uh, take a liking to you and recommend you for whatever. And and there's uh, you know many different uh, avenues to get in at the store, not just the direct hanging out there. Yeah, there's. I mean, you can also like again. You look at roast battle. Those guys made that out of nothing. Kill yes, Tony. we did. Yeah, you exactly. Kill Tony, Don Barris. There's like, there you you can do it. Um, it's just like Rob Schneider said, you can do you it. can do it. I think yeah. I, I'm I don't want to say blessed, but I, I'm aware that I get those those spots at the the those last spots in the uh, OR or in the main room. Those Sam Kinison spots, you know. Um, but you did exactly like what we just said. Like you maybe wouldn't have gotten in the store back then. So you went to Seattle. You meet Joey Diaz. He mm-hmm. recommends you to New York. You kill it there. You meet Bobby Lee probably through, hey, Joey Diaz, blah, blah, blah. Right. Bam. You got in at the store through other avenues. But you just keep doing your comedy. You feel that that's my approach. Like just be funny and then people will ask you to be on the show so that's another thing like comedians book other comedians so be a nice guy do a good job like you're saying and they go hey i'll I'll put you on the show so i remember like largo early on which is a popular show still is and zach was doing it a bunch and he was a regular there and i i said i'd like to do it one time he says don't worry they'll ask you like i was like wanted to do it and then he told me like zach would tell me early on just be funny you know, these guys will ask, people will ask you. So I never was, I just trusted my abilities. Like, look, I'm doing this show with David Spade. I'm going to help him out with, he's got a pilot coming up. I'm going to help him out on that. I've been going on the road with Spade. Um, I did Aspen with him. I did San Jose. We did Irvine, Brea. We're going to do Ontario. I didn't plan that out. You know, I just, I met David Maybe like three years ago, we did the Fox Sports show. I got recommended because I knew the Fox Sports guys. I worked there, George Greenberg. And so somehow my name came up. And then then David started working at the comedy store. David knew Adam, Arizona State. I would see him. And then boom, 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 I got to go. So that's what you have to tell people. Like, just be funny, be nice, be in it, be supportive. And... Some these things can happen, you that, know. That's like the great Jimmy Carr told me. What did he say? When I was expressing to him frustrations about certain uh, situations in my comedy life, he just, and I can't imitate him. Right, right. He just looked at me, put his head sideways a little bit, and said, "Earl, just worry about your side of the road. Be funny, and you'll be all right." Yeah. It's like, I mean, I it's so simple that advice but like when someone like jimmy carr says it it's like uh, yeah maybe you're right (laughs) yeah just cream rises at the top keep at it believe and then there's the other guys who you know do the one in the million shot go f it i'm gonna like totally go against the grain and they make it you would think like and that's the other thing you would think like this person's never gonna quote unquote make it they make it or this person you go i know he's gonna make it or she and they make it so Again, making it is 
Yeah, some people, like we're saying, like their goal is to get their name on the wall. It's like that's not what it's all about. But then you'll then but then you'll hear somebody like probably Kevin Hart would say something like that. That was my goal to get my name on the wall. And so there are there is that that fire that that little you know trivial as it may be. Some people need that little fire. I mean, you've heard you just you have heard those success stories. Well, there's different levels of making it. Like what is making it to some to an open micer i've made it oh he did roast battle now he was on tv to, to me you've made it really i think well but yeah. like to you i'm not trying to put words in your mouth i'm just to you zach's made it to zach maybe sandler's made it but does zach think i made it well i don't know you have to ask him what do you think I'm pretty sure he thinks you made it, but maybe, and then Zach maybe admires Sandler, and then Sandler probably admires Lenny Bruce, and Lenny Bruce admired Carl. I mean, it goes right, on forever, right, right? To making it, well, I think in America, making it is probably owning property, having a a, a wife or a husband, having a child, having a dog, having a, a Prius. And I do apologize for my dog's gas. She's, you you sure that was your dog and not you? It's, yeah, it's pretty bad. I haven't walked her in a while she's got bad gas i gave her a few extra treats today so oh, that did it well brody I, I, how long have we talked for let me i think almost two and a half hours and i knew this would be like this and i could talk to you another you know we are at the two hour and 11 minute mark so i think this might be a good yeah you know because podcast my podcast fans tend to zone out after about the hour mark so but they're gonna love this but now for our iTunes crowd. Okay. Where can people find you on Twitter, Instagram? Brody is me friend. Brody, you good guy, you me friend, based off Tony and Mr. Lee, my bus boys in New York City. So you can find me, Brody is me friend on Twitter. Brody is me friend on Instagram. You can find my special, Brody at Stevens uh, in the main room. You can find that on iTunes and the album on Amazon. That's uh, June 19th. Very soon, June 19th. And people can also find you regularly at the Comedy Store. I'm at the Comedy Store a couple, three nights a week. Also, of course, the uh, Improv and the Laugh Factory and uh, Seven a Good Time and podcasting. I'm over at All Things Comedy. Yeah, what's your podcast? Festival of Sports Friendship. And we talk about sports. We talk about friendship. And... uh, so people can find that on all things comedy. Yeah, I'm on all things comedy. I've done about 50 or 60 episodes over there. Great guys over there. Yeah, great guys. You can check out my video Valley Vibes that I did through all things comedy. I did a tour of the valley. Is that Lois? that was me? That was you. Okay. Um, well, on that note, no. Um, <laughs> I want to say thank you, Earl. Dude, you're one of my inspirations in stand-up comedy and i wish uh more people would aspire to be you you've achieved great things in this business through just hard work being liked many more great things coming for you and i thank you for doing this thank you earl guys this is an appropriate earl with the great brody stevens on itunes and soundcloud tomorrow it's sunday night 
and leave a review. To let us know you loved Brody. He'll come back maybe after the special. We'll we'll talk uh, baseball and yeah. hockey and and you know we got we didn't get to a lot of things. Like if you're ever down and out, and I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but one thing that has always made me laugh when I'm depressed is watching Brody's MC the Tom Arnold roast. And why well, was roasting? I was them. No, I'm sorry. It was the James Cameron roast. James Cameron. Yep. Tom Arnold was there. Uh, it is the fucking funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a de- great day as Bob Zaney, Ralphie May, uh, Tom Arnold, Ed McMahon, the late uh, Ed McMahon. Is that still on YouTube? I believe so. Yeah. And then who else was on? The girl was on it. I don't remember the girl. I just re- I really all I remember is you, Judy, Judy Tenuta. Judy Tenuta. So please look up uh, Brody Stevens on YouTube. I'm sure there's many great yes, clips. Yes, all things Brody. And can you do has a nice little button on the episode. I know you're probably sick of doing this, but can you do your big line from The Hangover? Yeah. All right. So here, you know you guys. So I'm walking in. You're walking in to the police station. They have the uh, the kids. The kids. I walk in, given a tour. The three main guys. They stole a police car. It was Zach, Bradley Cooper, and the guy from the office, Ed Ed Helms. Yeah, Ed's my friend. I'm kidding. So they stole the police car. They were arrested. They were handcuffed to a bench. I walk in to the police station, giving a kids a tour of the police station. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Officer Foltz, and this is The Hangover. Background, speeding, lights, sound, action. So after we take their mug shots, we bring them on down here where they wait to be interviewed by the arresting officers. Trust me, kids, you don't want to be sitting on these benches. We call this place Loserville. Brody Stevens. Yes. We call this place... 